0: This On this week's episode, we look at the 1955 season. Three sons of former players make their debut. Norm Smith demands more of Melbourne in a quest to go one better. Les Foote gets very frustrated at St Kilda. Speaking of St Kilda, they have some issues with the Blues. Uh, the moment has come at Fitzroy. A spot in the finals comes down to the Dogs and the Bombers in the final round. Lou Richards plays his 250th game and then has some interesting words with Fonz Kine and there is a big collision in the grand final that we need to talk about All this and more coming up after the song
1: It's the history
0: of football we knows about And we want to expand
2: what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry
1: With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time, 1870s, right through to the modern day, tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman, to hear what they all have to say.
0: Right, welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast, the Australian Rules Football History podcast. We take a deep dive into the history of the league, going one season at a time. We've got no real qualifications to bring you this show other than a thirst for knowledge, a desire to relive the past, and lots of books. Uh, my name is Tim. Over there is Charlie. Hello, hello. Uh, just the two of us today, although Kaz and Moz will be, will be chipping in from time Absolutely. to time. you will definitely hear their voices, but Charlie... 2021. Twenty twenty one, here we are. A whole new season. We're in the mid fifties. We're in yeah, whole new um, season. We yeah. should really re- rename this show the uh the Melbourne Demons. We absolutely uh, should, just for uh, this year. <laughs>
2: for this episode, for this year, yeah, yeah, definitely. The Love Fest that is. Um Luckily it's just you. I don't have to contend with Moz I know, and No, uh, I can't believe it. I don't Moz have the backup. Well. Although that seems fair. Mm-hmm. We can just go head to head on this one. Um It's an interesting time of year, Timmy, when we could just look back and and forward at the same time and think how excited we are for the year ahead. Oh, absolutely. Every, yeah. Everyone can still win the flag at everyone this point in 2021. Is, everyone's flying at the yeah, moment as yeah, well. Everyone's looking good.
0: <laughs> um, a bit of news before we get stuck into the 55 season as well. Um, over the break, over Christmas, um, Rhett Bartlett released a uh, an article that he'd actually discovered some more games for Jack Dyer off the back of a question we had asked him. Yes. So we've actually, you know, through this, we've uh, helped out this little podcast. We've, we've changed history. Love that. We've got Jack Dyer some more games, which was funny because we thought well, he we, played less games, but through that so investigation, we got,
2: well, we got a couple taken away from him, but then other ones added, right? Yeah. Is that and right? We got Basil McCormick to 200 games, he was stranded on 199. So there we go, we got we him over the an extra line. Game. If only we could do that for a few others. Yeah,
0: no. <laughs> um, yeah and so Jack Dyer uh, was previously 312, he, Oh, he lost a game, 311. Yeah, so you lost a, lost a few, but gained a few others. Yes, yeah. I, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, so a few things changed just because of that one simple question
2: that we had. Well, that's it.
0: So we are changing history. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Every day, just by living
0: our lives. It is. Um, All right, now, Kaz, before we get into things, 1955 is the year.
1: Is the year of what?
0: It is the year that you've been waiting for. I'm gonna, let's play a quick clip from our very first episode. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly we bad. really made a mess of that yeah, that's
1: this really not fair um, <laughs> uh, can we just talk about Ke- um, Kevin Murray
2: no that's oh, not that's until that's the 60s um... <laughs> the scattergun approach to history yeah. I like yeah.
1: it <laughs> I think Paul Ruse
0: was <laughs> yeah, yeah. There? he was
2: there somewhere wasn't he <laughs> yeah
0: so, Kaz, Kevin Murray.
1: Do I get a chance to defend myself? Um, should we go into that? <laughs> no, the, the people don't want to hear that. Anyway, I misunderstood the format of the show. Um, Kevin Murray. It's out there. Kaz, Kevin Murray. He
0: debuts round four, 1955.
1: Yes, he de- he's a debutant do you, as uh, we used to say.
0: Now, do we want to, are we so excited we want to talk about him now or do you want to wait till we get to Fitzroy?
1: Look, he, we don't need to s- explain anything about him, honestly, do we? But let's just say a couple of things. Okay. So... Well, can I say something about why I admi- admire the man so much? I mean, Please. it's hard not to. So, young Kaz is an impressionable young man watching the Footy Show, and they have guests on. But Bulldog Murray comes on. Don't know anything about him, but straight away you just you just want to love him, don't you? And the thing about wearing the, the brand low around the neck, it's great. Yeah, he always
0: he wears it everywhere, doesn't he?
1: Every and gets photos all the time. He says yeah. that, he said there's over there's hundreds of photos of him out there, and who doesn't want one? I want one. A Brownlow. Um, to, I'll fight it with his, Kevin Murray. His Brownlow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, do yourself a favour, YouTube him. Um, there's some there's some great vision of him. Uh, why was he so great, Tim? Well, tell us. We could start with 333 games at the time of record. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, obviously won a Brownlow. He came very close a number of times, missed out by one point. Um, I don't need to tell you all these stats, but. Um,
0: and obviously we have each episode to go through some of these stats as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Started off as a wiry uh, defender. Um, he became famous for being pretty hard. Um, and he was taught by some pretty hard players um, in his time. He, he does go on a lot about how uh, well he was taught the game by the, the older players at Fitzroy at oh, the time.
0: We should also you know, not forget that his dad played at Fitzroy, a premiership player. That's
1: mm-hmm. right. Um, so it, there was a lot of football in the family too, apparently. Uh, So, Kevin Bulldog Murray, what's not to love? Um, You know, a bit bit different to the usual footy story. Um, uh, A really lovable character um, and can follow it up with great football too,
0: right? And he plays until 1974, I believe, so we will be talking about him for this whole year.
1: (laughs) That's right, settle in.
0: And a bit next year as well, I'm sure. I hope so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, since the beginning of the podcast, any of you... um, Wondering why I'm so excited. That's why it's been four seasons and we're finally there. (laughs) Finally. Yeah. Um, So maybe each
0: each episode you can give us a bit of a, you know, the Kevin Murray
1: (laughs) snapshot. Snapshot, yeah. Um, The Murray Manifest, I think you just called it. (laughs) Okay.
0: You're going to give us a little sting as well, a little song or or teaser trailer or something? Have a think. Have a think about a sting. Okay. (laughs) All right. So let's get stuck into some history. Before we do, here's some hit songs. um, Bill Haley in the Comets with The Rock Around the Clock. Oh, yes. And uh, oh, one of my favourites, Mr Sandman by The Four Aces and the oh, Comets. I love that.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, uh, great times. The uh, the history of the year.
2: Yes, so, 1955. Great year. Great year. So, um, let's start. Well, the, look... As this is living history for some people, I'm trying. I'm trying (laughs) to. Yeah, well, that's it. I'm. I'm trying to really uh, synthesise the amount of history I give. So I'm going to start on the fifth of March, when um, Elvis Presley made his television debut on the Louisiana Hayride, Mm -hmm. uh, which was the show carried by KSLA TV, Shreveport, in the United States. Ah, Yeah, Shreveport, exactly. Uh, on the 5th of April, Winston Churchill resigned as Prime Minister of the UK due to ill health at age 80. Yeah, he didn't like that photo, that, that painting. You know that the paint, yeah, that's him. it. it yep. If anyone, like an anyone's watched The Crown, so yeah, exactly. Um, which is crazy thinking that the, the guy has just taken over as president in his 79. But yeah. yeah, there we go. But also that he was Prime Minister to Queen Elizabeth II, who is still, still reigning. Life. I know, isn't it? It's insane. It's great. Mm. On the 14th of April, we had uh, the Detroit Red Wings winning the Stanley Cup for the seventh time in their franchise history, but in a huge drought, would not win again until 1997. Ooh, that is a big drought. Yeah, no, not the biggest, though. <laughs> uh, on the 15th of April, the very next day, Ray Kroc opened his first he McDonald's. No, his first McDonald's. Oh, OK. In Duplaine, Illinois. So not the first McDonald's but his first McDonald's. He was the one who took it over from the McDonald's brothers. Interesting that you mentioned uh, Mm. McDonald's. We'll come back to that later. Okay, okay. On the 9th of May, we had a young Jim Henson introducing the earliest version of Kermit the Frog in the premiere of his puppet show Salmon Friends in Washington. Uh, We had... um, On the 24th of September, September, President Dwight Eisenhower uh, suffered a coronary thrombosis, and Vice President Nixon served as acting president while he recovered. Uh, On the 30th of September, James Dean was killed Mm. when his uh, automobile um, collided with another car at a highway junction in California. It was a Porsche Spider, I believe he was driving at the time. I think that's right. Tell me if I'm wrong. I don't know. On the 1st of November is what is called the official start date of the Vietnam War between the Democratic Republic of Vietnam and the Republic of Vietnam. Uh, And the North was obviously allied with the the Viet Cong. Mm -hmm. On the 1st of December in Montgomery, Alabama, Rosa Parks refused to obey uh, the bus driver's order that she give up her seat to make room for a white passenger and was arrested leading to the Montgomery bus boycott and... Like Was a huge Part of the beginning Of the civil rights Yeah era. So yeah Still going on Yeah absolutely On the uh, 10th of December We had the Federal election In Australia Where Menzies Was re-elected With a substantially Increased majority Pig iron bob Yeah So that was it There came in the um, Huge split Of the Labour Party Which led to the Formation of the Democratic Labour Party So yeah That was why He got had the increased Majority I think Mm-hmm. On the 19th of December, Dame Edna Everidge made her first stage appearance in Melbourne. Wow. Yeah, I know, that feels like a long time ago. Uh, and uh, we also had, um, in a couple of unknown exact dates, we had Toporoa winning the Melbourne Cup. We had in the uh, Australian Open, the men's singles, Ken Rosewald defeat, defeated Lou Hode 9 7 6 4 6 4. And also, the Guthaga Power Station became the first to generate electricity in the Snowy Mountain Scheme. Okay. I Sweet. didn't realise it was that long ago. So there yeah. you go. You want to hear about some people that were born this always, year, Timothy? Always. So I've stayed. I've stayed uh, mainly Australian yep. with this one yes. also. So on the 13th of January, Paul Kelly, okay. the Australian musician. On the 10th of Feb, Greg Norman, the Great White shark. shark. On the 24th of Feb, Steve Jobs. Yeah. On the 31st of March, Angus Young, the lead guitarist of ACDC. On the 27th of July, Alan Border, the cricketer. AB. Yep. On the 5th of August, Robbie Flower, (laughs) the great (laughs) Melbourne footballer. Uh, and on the 28th of October, Bill Gates, okay. the creator of Microsoft. Strange I'd, that they were in the same year, Jobs I'd, and I'd Gates. I'd like you to do like a top ten people that were born this year sort of thing. Oh, I've, yeah, I don't know whether How I'm... would you uh, rank them, though? Yeah, well, that's it. I don't know if I'm qualified to make those decisions. So there we go. Nice.
0: Well, let's get stuck into the 55 season. Please. Um, some league news first.
3: Because it's football season, and that's the reason. It's the time of the year that we love.
0: Some rule changes, as always. Yes. The 15-yard penalty. Yes. Introduced to the rules by the Australian National Football Council, allowing the umpire to advance the spot of a mark or free kick by 15 yards in the event of crude late challenges or the
2: of, on a play with the mark. So we're talking 15 yards. So we're basically talking about 13 metres. Yeah. 13-metre penalty. Like, okay. And this would last until the 80s. Was it a 15-yard penalty all the way yep. up to the 80s? Yep. And then Kevin Sheedy...
0: The Bombers were the ones who caused the, the rule change. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, the highest aggregate score in a match for the year was only 207 points. Yes. The lowest since twenty l- twenty 22. 22. Yep. yeah. And there was no match where both teams scored over 100. Really? Yeah. So maybe weather had, a, had something to do with that? Because we know we've had some we've, wet seasons. We've had some wet, we've had some wet years. Yes. Um, now, in 2001, the AFL decided to recognise all leading goal kickers prior to 1981. Um... From fifty five onwards, because uh, Coleman injured himself. Yes, in fifty four. So from the, his retirement onwards, so fifty five was the first year. That the Coleman wed- they gave Medal a retros- retrospective retrospectively. Coleman medalist. So winners prior to fifty five were named leading goal kicking medalists. Yep. Uh, and medals were presented to winners in their surviving relatives in a ceremony at Melbourne Town Hall in
2: two thousand and four. Oh, fantastic! Hang on, so. So. But but before that, they're recognised as just the leading goal kicker yeah. medalist. Yeah, but from 55 onwards, it became we've got common the, medal. the common rule, with the, with the rule as the home and away season. Oh, before that, it counted everything. Yeah. So now we can say we've got the com. Yes. I think we're going to stick with... We've got to say who kicked the most goals in the season Absolutely. as well. Yeah, no, I agree. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and the only other, other news was Ballarat was seeking to have a side in the VFL and had engaged the league in discussions in mid-year. Interesting. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they get it. I wonder.
3: All
1: right, so let's work our way up the ladder. No changes there for our structure. Nope. Um, In 12th place, St Kilda with one win and 17 losses. I know, it's very shocking.
2: Um, a percentage of
1: 45.4.
2: So, yes, yeah, St Kilda, captain coached by Les Foote. Uh, Jim McDonald was their lead goal kicker with 24. Best and fairest one by Neil Roberts. All right, so some
0: debutants for St. Kilda. Poor on St. Kilda. Yes. Um, Mick McLaren, Jimmy Jewett, Merv Dim, Milne McCook, and here's a big name for you, Alan
1: Jeans.
2: Oh, 55. Kaz,
1: tell us a bit about Yabby. Alan Jeans, you don't need me to tell you how much of a legend he is. Started off uh, at St. Kilda. Um, he retired when he was 26 um, with a chest injury. I thought that was... Um, rather interesting and, uh, was, and that was 1960 he was coaching the next year one of the youngest co- non-playing coaches and uh, g- goes on to be uh, an absolutely amazing coach he was he grew up playing in the middle and finished his career in the ruck
0: alright round one was a big 59 point loss to St Kilda Uh, There's not a lot of joy here, but there's some interesting tales as usually happen with St Kilda. Well, that's it. That's what they're all about. In May, it was revealed that a deceased supporter had left in his will a sum of 20 sovereigns with the request that they be given to each member of St Kilda's first premiership side. This request was dated as far back as about 1911. Okay. Um, and passed from hands to hands to other and Killer supporters. And one of was like, oh, "I better actually let the club know about this
2: and like let them know." So, so one sovereign to each player in the Premiership, I basically. So, yeah. <laughs> what, what is a sovereign as well? It's like a gold piece. Yeah, it, I think so. I don't. Yeah, I'm not up to date with my old school currencies. Yeah, I wonder if yeah. they get
0: it in '66 as well. If they actually hand it out. I hope so.
2: Um, I wonder whether we can ask.
0: Yeah. In. Uh, So they had a terrible round five. They lost by 134 points to the Swans. Um, Alan Ruffin was moved in the papers to write, the haphazard way
2: St Kilda went about the game was a disgrace to the league. And Les Foote told the players, you're a disgrace to your Guernsey, to your club and to everyone connected with it. I'm pleased that I'm getting out at the end of the year. Yeah, so I'm not sure if he'd announced then that he was leaving
0: or like, it must have been known early he wasn't going to stick yeah, around. Yeah, obviously. Um, their only win of the season came in round 11 by seven points over North Melbourne. Uh, Neil Roberts and Bruce Phillips in defence won the game for them. A group of supporters and old players group put together around 80 quid for the players um, to you know to celebrate the win, with Ruckman Ken Mulholl saying, what are we going to do with 90 quid at the end of the season? <laughs> uh, in round 14, Milne McCook made his league debut as a full forward and scored two goals and a big loss to the Pies. And he had the following exchange with Jack Hamilton. Uh, well, son, you didn't do too well today. I reckon I did all right. But you only kicked two goals.
2: Yeah, but against the good fullbacks, I don't get any.
0: <laughs> Classic. Uh, round 15 was another uh, interesting match. The Blues pummeled the bottom of the ladder, Saints, by 56 points. Following the match, the game ended in a goal-square brawl. Oh, Carlton fans waited at the Saints' race. One man tried to hit St. Hit Bruce Phillips. Uh, they, they were also spat on and pelted with rubbish. Um, as being the tradition, St. Kilda coach Les foot decided to try and make amends and led the team um, you know, to have a bit of a get-together with Carlton in the social rooms afterwards, nah. only to find a notice attached to the door advising them that the function had been cancelled. This wasn't the end of it, though. On the following Monday, uh, someone sent Carlton... Secretary a parcel containing baby's rattles and a folded baby's napkin to signify Carlton's infantile attitude. (laughs) Um, And then it was known that some players had been reported. So things actually got nasty when a fan rang to say that if any Carlton fan was suspended, a bomb would be placed in the St Kilda grandstand. Oh, jeez. Okay. That's taken it too far. Five players were sent to the tribunal with St Kilda's Brian Gilmore uh, disqualified for four matches. Um, Bruce Phillips was reported twice for striking. Uh, He he struck George of Carlton, but was exonerated on both counts. Um, There's more to come on this as well. We'll talk about that in the Carlton section. Beautiful. In round 18, they had a thumping courtesy of the Tigers in Les Foot's last match, which was coincidentally on his 31st birthday. He was carried shoulder high off the ground by his teammates uh, as he announced his retirement midweek as uh, player and coach. Um, But Kaz spoke about their percentage as 478
2: Yes. That, oh, sorry. No, their average, their score. average score. which yep. was their lowest since... No, they're, they're lo- the lowest by any team since 1919. Was it them in 1919
0: or was it... I have a feeling it might have been Melbourne in 1919. Let's
2: not check. No. It. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the year
0: they came back in. <laughs> oh, it before. is. You're right. Yeah, it was Melbourne. Yeah. Sorry. Well, we don't have it <laughs> anymore, so that's
4: okay.
1: <laughs> All right. Moving up the ladder. 11th place... North Melbourne, three wins, 15
2: losses. Percentage of 76.3, Tim.
0: All right, so North
2: Melbourne, Charlie. Yes, yeah, so North Melbourne in 55, uh, coached by Jock McCorkle, captain by Vic Lawrence. Their lead goal kicker was Jock Spencer with 68. Best and fairest winner was Bob Brooker. Mm.
0: Uh, so here's some uh, some good debutants, some good um, alliterated names. As well. We've got Bobby Burt, John it. Joyner. Norm Neeson, Bill Barton. Then we've got John Dugdale and Brian O'Halloran as well.
2: That's quite, that's quite a few. A alli- bit like of alliteration, of I like that. Yeah.
0: Like. Um, Unfortunately, they didn't play like that. No. Um, Carlton embarrassed them in round one, but Coach McCorkill said he's going to have to pull our socks up. Oh, well, good. They lost their first four, finally beating Hawthorne in round five by two points.
2: Um, Coach McCorkle said... The whole team, particularly the younger chaps, showed they have learned the meaning of position play and they stuck to their stations well when the pressure was on in the last term. I thought that our general play, including our kicking and marking, was a shade better all day. We had more pace and won the ruck. Jock Spencer did a great job turning our winning play into goals.
0: Yeah, Buddy Oathie did. He kicked eight of them. Oh, Perfect. And then they won two in a row. They had a 22-point win over the Tigers. The following week, but then they had a long nine-match losing streak. Killer, killer. Um, Spencer being the shining light as always,
2: kicked eight against the Roys in that time, six against the Cats. Yeah, it's huge. Sixty-eight in a in a team that finished second bottom is mm. yeah it's all big. Roy Park like it a
0: just. I'm glad you said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, after North Melbourne's humiliating round eleven loss to St Kilda, who had not won a match. Since round sixteen, nineteen fifty-four, um, the North <laughs> Melbourne committee sacked two of its senior players in Mick Grambow and Laurie Icky, yeah, um, indefinitely for both playing and training with the club. Sorry, train. Suspended. Yeah, they suspended from, from, playing from playing and training. Train. Yeah, um, for not having tried hard enough in the match. How's that? Uh, neither was given an explanation as to
2: why, which went against the club's constitution, and also. Absolutely drop them from the team. But why stop them from training? Like, yeah. surely give them an opportunity to get back and send, in. Send
0: the a message. Maybe? Yeah.
2: Um, but it didn't work. Like, the players held their own meeting that lasted 70 metres,
0: uh, 70 metres, 70 minutes, you know, saying we'll strike. If you don't, like, let them play again, we won't play.
2: Well yeah that's that's ridiculous. I mean drop them drop them for form, but you can't suspend people for not being good. Both players sought legal advice if they weren't
0: or had threatened to seek legal advice if they weren't reinstated by round thirteen they were reinstated. Yeah. so they missed a match in that round twelve match in between Spencer kicked another eight. yep, amazing. um but yeah, round thirteen they came back in a loss to Collingwood. It's very um,
2: strange from North. yeah, and as we head into the fifty six season as well, things are really falling apart with North Melbourne. yeah. Do you, think, do you think the Saints got over them because of uh, Les Foote's insight?
0: Possibly. Yeah, interesting. Possibly. Um, they finally won another game in round 16, beating Hawthorne again. John Brady was brilliant at centre-half back, and Jock Spencer played with confidence, only kicking three, though. Um, by season's end, Grambo and Icky were done with the club for good. Yep. Uh, as you would if they'd been yeah. treated like that. Spencer being the shining light. Uh, it was his best output of goals since 1950.
2: Yeah, Massive. We won their their lead goal kicking. He won their goal kicking the year before as well, but not obviously with as many. Yeah. Yeah. Tenth place, South Melbourne, with five wins, thirteen losses, and a Charlie percentage of eighty-seven point eight. All right, South Melbourne, the Swannies. Yes. So, uh, coached by Herb Matthews and captain by Bill Gunn. Uh, their best and fairest winner was Ian Gillett And their lead goal kicker was Eddie Lane with 36 A few more than his uh, winning, uh, leading goal kicking of the last year of 28 mm. So there
0: you go So some debutants. there's a big one here All big uh, Des Barry, John Trethoan, John Woolley and Bob Pratt Jr Hey, he's back He's-ish <laughs> um, Pre-season though, Ron Clegg accepted the coaching gig up in North Albury Ah. Swans, and we know clubs have been chasing him for ages. Yeah, yeah, yep. uh, Swans cleared him, but hoped he would return at some stage. Also, their number one ruckman Jim Taylor left
2: to play in Norwood. Well, after not clearing him to go to Adelaide, wasn't it? He Tappy, was going to go to. Oh, that's right. Yeah, bar yeah. yeah. He was
0: actually, living down there at one point.
2: Yeah, no, it was yeah for pharmacy or something, wasn't it? And yeah, yeah. Uh, round one, South Melbourne full
0: forward Colin Vance had unsuccessfully attempted a place kick for goal on debut against the Cats in what was a poor game for the Swans who only managed one goal in the first half uh, and they lost to the Cats. In round two, they opened their account with a 38-point win over Fitzroy. The Sporting Globe saying, South won across the centre and was more purposeful around the packs. Oh, well. In round four, South took on Richmond at Punt Road with fans flocking to see the debut of Bob Pratt Jr. (laughs)
2: Just Just
0: hoping he was the same. Wearing the number 10 of his dad. He even received the telegram pre-game from Jack Regan Prince of fullbacks Yeah Saying good luck Try to emulate your dad
2: Why from Why from Jack Ray How strange yeah.
0: um, anyway. Fans were not disappointed though As young Pratt took a brilliant Mark 40 metres out And kicked a goal Early on He added another Before quarter time And would finish the game With three goals six And be among the best As the Swans were smashed ah. <laughs> Um, But then round five They put on an absolute clinic In the year's first Lakeside pennant Dismantling the Saints to the tune of 134 points At Lakeside Oval Shades of I think 1919 Was the the year they smashed them as well Oh okay Where they kicked like 18 goals in the last quarter Uh, In this game they kicked six goals to one in the first Eight to one in the second Even third quarter And then finished off with seven goals to no score in the final quarter
2: Seven to none
0: Eddie Lane was six Ian Gillett with four That's a killer They beat Carlton by eight points at Princess Park and then took on the undefeated Demons at home. And they led the Demons by 17 points at three-quarter time and were about to produce the upset of the season, especially when young Pratt snapped the clever left-foot goal, which saw them lead by 23 points. Um, But the Demons would roar back into this game. Of course they would. Uh, And the Swans would go down. Despite Bill Gunn kicking four goals, we'll talk about Melbourne's version of that when we get to it yeah probably. we will uh, this lost to the Swans who Would drop the next two uh, they'd only win one of their final eight games which was against St Kilda so yeah. who cares um, in their round 15 loss to Richmond Bob Pratt Jr. would have his best day out kicking six goals um, but South would have some success this season which Moz will tell us about later
2: they finish with a bit of a whimper very much
0: yeah. a whimper but yeah they do have a, bright, a shining bright light which Moz will tell us about yes wink wink nudge nudge
2: I wonder what it could be. (laughs) Fitzroy. Hey, yes, the men. The men's team. team. Here they are. The gorillas, no longer. Not the gorillas.
1: Just just Fitzroy. this Just Fitzroy, yeah, exactly. In ninth place, Fitzroy, even though Bulldog Murray debuts, can't get them off the bottom area of the ladder there. Six wins, 12 losses, percentage 88.5. So, uh,
2: Captain Coach by Bill Stephen, their best and fairest winner was Don Finesse, and their lead goal kicker was Norm Johnston with 32.
0: Yes. So, as you said, Bill Stephen took over as playing coach. Yeah. The board saying of his appointment,
2: If sincerity, enthusiasm, and loyalty count for anything, Bill is more than halfway on the road to success. His manly qualities will command the respect of every player and official and help him to maintain the discipline that is so necessary to success. Manly
0: manly, uh, manly qualities are a requirement as <laughs> They are. <laughs> <laughs> um, now the biggest debutant of all, and we've already spoken about him, Bulldog Murray, yes. son of Dan. And we, look, we've got a whole year of this, at least. We're talking about Kevin Murray all year. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Round one was a brilliant start for the new coach, Bill Stephen. They had a 35-point win over Hawthorne. Normie Johnson leading the way with three goals. Um, then they had a few losses. Round four was an interesting one. They played Geelong at Brunswick Street Oval. Yeah. This was also, Kevin Murray's debut game. 16 years old at that stage. Really? Yeah. Great. Uh, in this game, Fitzroy full forward Tony Ongarello yeah, t- was so upset with his inaccurate kicking that upon taking a mark, he indicated to the field umpire he was going to do what?
2: He was going to take a leaf out of Colin
0: Vance's book. And kick a place kick. Take a place kick. Uh, he scored a goal. He was so impressed that he kicked one more goal in that match with a place kick, <laughs> putting Fitzroy in front with minutes to play. However, the Cats rallied to win by 10. Um, I think, so round five against Richmond, Ongarello again attempted place yeah, kicks. Yeah,
2: it he did, it did a few times in over the season. Had,
0: in fact, he had eight attempts and kicked just four goals. So yep. ultimately, he gave up this strategy mostly. Um, yep. Although the Roys won this match... So while there's never been, and it's still not a rule against this kind of kick, Ongorello uh, is recorded as the last player to kick a goal with a place kick in a senior VFL-AFL match.
2: So, I mean, I'd, I'd just love to see someone do it this year. <laughs> Imagine the coach, though. It'd be so great. Oh, just, if- in the, just in the goal square. Just
0: imagine oh, imagine if, like, a Hawks player did it and Alistair Clarkson's reaction. <laughs> it'd, it'd be great. It'd be classic. Uh, in round seven, Kevin Murray was given the job of minding champion Bob Rose in just his fourth game. Rose kicked four goals four in a best-on-ground performance, but the Sporting Globe commended Murray, saying he was providing quite a bit of drive despite the elusiveness of Merritt and
2: Rose. So, you know. Yeah, good sign. Uh, imagine that, getting put on Rose as a 16-year-old. Sure. Like players 1 by 64. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, exactly.
0: But yeah, no it's, you know, sometimes it works where you put those players on champions just to let them see what it's like. Absolutely. And uh,
2: also, I mean, you're not expecting them to shut them down, like really. No. The pre- I I can understand feeling the pressure, but you you're not ex- yeah, anyway.
0: Um, the team would only win one of its last nine, but the start of the season had impressed the committee and praised Stevens for his team-building skills and probably his manly qualities.
2: Yeah, well, obviously. I mean, he's a man.
1: He's a man. Eighth place, Hawthorne. Eight wins, ten losses. Doing well,
2: uh, 94%. So, the Hawks, uh, coached by Jack Hale and uh, captained by John Kennedy, Uh we have our best and fairest winner, was Graham Arthur. And Kevin Coglin again for the third year in a row, is our lead goal kicker with 28.
0: Nice. The debutante's uh, big one here is Graham Arthur.
1: Ah, yes. Is, tell us a bit about him. So, Graham Arthur, the Hawks' first premiership captain. His nickname is Mort. Uh, inspired the poem Mort to Arthur, which uh, we have to find that. That's going to be good. Um, he's a brilliant half-forward flanker and... Very unselfish, always handballing. He would have gotten a lot more goals if he'd uh, kicked it himself. Um, Recruited from Sandhurst and uh, got um, three best and fairest awards. Um, uh, One of them in his first season. Graham Arthur. Right, other
0: debutants we have are Ron Horrocks. Ron Hoy. And a great football name, Barry Tackle. (laughs)
2: Yes!
0: (laughs) Love that. Um, So John Kennedy Sr., was uh, appointed captain, as you said, and Roy Simmons was appointed his vice-captain. So Coach introduced some interesting ideas uh, to the club, such as splitting the club between Catholics and Protestants for practice matches. Stop it. Post-match analysis with the players at his home. Intensive match practice every Tuesday. After-match social functions for games at Glenferry where players and their partners could gather for dinner and entertain each other with songs and routines. Um, really trying to embrace a sense of team, mateship and discipline and instill family club ethos. Sounds very similar to what uh, Norm
2: Smith's trying to do at Melbourne. Mm.
0: Except for the uh, Protestants and Catholics, that's a bit full on. But good on you. Might have raised the uh, the quality of those games. Yeah,
5: absolutely. Put a bit bit
0: of fire in. Season got off to a poor start with with a 35-point loss to Fitzroy. Uh, But Graham Arthur made his debut with the Argus saying he was one of his side's best players as a well-built, speedy, half-forward flinker. Ah. Uh, then they strung together three wins on the trot, beating Carlton by 27, South by 42, and then achieving a rare win over eventual grand finalists, Collingwood, at Glenferry Oval. The Hawks kicked four goals to one in the last quarter to take the match by nine points. In round seven, the Hawks had their first win at Windy Hill for 18 years, knocking off the Bombers in round seven by five points. 18 years? Yep. In fact, it was the first time the Hawks had beaten Essendon anywhere in 16 attempts. That's incredible. Mm. Then in round eight, in keeping with the sides, Pachant for close games, the Hawks got up over a fast-finishing Richmond side by two points at Glenferry. Solid losses to Footscray, Geelong, Carlton, and Collingwood were interspersed with wins over St Kilda by 38, Fitzroy by 61, and South by 20, all at Glenferry Oval. Um, they lost the last four games of the season, but the building blocks are there. Like, they're slowly, yep. slowly climbing their way out of the... Well, out uh, of the doldrums, yeah, yeah exactly. We'll the eighth... And they've, you know, steady. And they haven't sort of stolen it, yeah. No, so they've gone from last to ninth to eighth. So they're slow creeping up, yeah, creeping up there.
1: Unfortunately,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, we're enjoying it still, yeah. while they're not making finals. Yeah. Carlton in seventh place with nine wins, nine losses. Percentage ninety-eight
2: point six, almost dead even. So coach by Perce Bentley in his final year. Yeah, as coach. Yeah. Uh, Captain by Ken Hands. Uh, best and Fairest winner was, is John James. And Noel O'Brien, lead goal kicker, with 73.
0: Uh, some debutants are Ron Bezasto, Barry Baitzel,
2: cousin of Harry.
0: Uh, Barry and Harry. Yeah. There you go. Um, and just wanted to give a quick shout-out to the Bluesium website that we use to gather a lot of this information. They are very helpful. Um, so whoever the curator is, great job. Keep it up. Yeah, well done. It's very, very extensive. I'm very jealous that uh, Essendon doesn't have a similar website Yeah, that chronicles their season and match to match. So round one, Carlton got off to a great start in season 55 with a huge win over the Kangaroos at home by 69 points. Uh, this was off the back of a mammoth nine goal last quarter, which would ruse away. Noel O'Brien kicked four goals, five. Coach Burst Bentley said,
2: Two factors gave us the win. The workmanlike way the boys went about the game and our condition, which was outstanding for this time of the season. When they went on with it in the last, I said something I've been wanting to say a long time. This is our year.
0: What happens when any coach declares it their year?
2: Well, yeah, nothing good. It always
0: backfires. You'd never say that as a coach. Um, The Hawks then beat them. The next week, um, before they had another big win over the Lions, who had more scoring shots, but Carlton were incredibly in a, uh, incredibly accurate. They kicked seventeen four in that game to win by fifty seven points. They beat the Saints before, um, and then they had an unCarlton, well, unCarlton like seven losses in a row. If we're talking about Carlton back then, yeah. If we're talking about a recent Carlton, that's quite simple. A very Carlton like mm. seven losses in a row. <laughs> yeah. Around uh, twelve, they finally beat North Melbourne by seventeen points.
2: Noel, Noel O'Brien kicked seven. Pers Bentley said. The fact that we fielded our strongest and most balanced side possible was of major importance in our win. The balance was particularly noticeable up forward. Defenders also again rose to the occasion and in the third quarter really swung the game in our favour. Finally, the inclusion of Captain Ken Hands and John Chick gave a great boost to the team.
0: I wonder if you're still thinking it's their year.
2: <laughs> Yet. Yeah, there wasn't as
0: upbeat as the <laughs> first one, was it? No. Against the Hawks in round 13, they almost blew the game again, trailing all day until the Blues clicked into gear and played their best football in the last quarter, kicking 5-5 five, five to one behind uh, with the Hawks kicking two late goals to flatter the scoreline. Round 14, Fitzroy played into Carlton's hands by repeatedly kicking the ball long and high into the forward line where the Blues big men either took the mark or punched the ball away. Carlton, on the other hand, kept the ball low, fast and hard. Across the centre, the Carlton duo of John Chick and Laurie Kerr dominated and provided many attacking moves. Ken Hands played a true captain's game and was always there when needed. Uh, He was an inspiration to the side. The Maroons got on top for 20 minutes during the last quarter and looked very dangerous. But the Blues' backline held firm, with John James and fullback George Ferry being the better players. Um, Their round 15 was that match against St Kilda we talked about. They smashed the Saints in a very rough game. Um, The the Saints' Bruce McClellan went down late in the first. Ken Hands and Ray Houston were niggling each other all day. Uh, The Saints' Brian Gilmore crunched Noel O'Brien, which led to Bill Milroy running 25 metres to flatten Gilmore. Um... Les Foot and the Saints then forgot the ball as he led his teammates downfield to even up the score, hence that big brawl in the, in the goal line at the end of the game. Um, the victory was achieved at some cost, including the suspension of Key Blues, Bill Milroy and George Ferry. Uh, Mil- Gilmore copped four weeks for striking Noel O'Brien. But I'm pleased to say no bomb was placed in the sink. The, <laughs> uh, the players beat the in round 16, uh, but the Blues finished off on a winning note, smashing the Swans and then held off a fast-finishing Geelong. To, to finish what was a you know a disappointing season
1: out of the uh, out of the four when it was
2: their year. It was their year, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Richmond in sixth place with nine wins and nine losses. Uh, percentage 106.1. A little bit more than Colton.
2: So, Richmond coached by Albie Panham, captained by Des Rowe. Uh, Bess and Ferris was Des Rowe as well. And our lead goal kicker was Ray Poulter with 49.
0: Yes. Uh, so, some debutantes... Were, now this this brings me back to your stuff about McDonald's because a debutant for Richmond was Ron McDonald Ronald McDonald he there debuted, we go he debuted the same year that guy opened up the McDonald's
2: incredible yeah love that huge feat good for kicking goals <laughs> <laughs> uh, some other debutants were John Jenkins
0: and Ray Bloodworth that's good yeah that's good I like that uh, now with discussions around widening punt road, and thereby losing 14 feet from the ground The club had begun to oh, have discussions yeah, okay. with the MCC About sharing the, cricket, ah, the yes. cricket ground However, they put those on hold because of the Olympics The impending Olympics Of course, 56 um, So pre-season, Charlie Panham had his players iron hard And fit for their opening round match against Essendon However, they scored 9 goals, 26 And lost by 17 points
2: 9-26, yeah, ouch Their first win
0: actually wouldn't come until round four against South, where they again kicked poorly. They kicked 15 goals, 20, but this time won by 58 points. Yeah, well, you take it. But they only won two of their first 10 matches, and Panem's position at the club was under scrutiny. The club called on its players to stage a revival, and boy, did they. They'd win seven of their final eight games, including their last six games. Some of the highlights... Being, Last
2: six on the run. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Okay. Um,
0: some of the highlights being Ray, Ray Poulter in round 11. who kicked eight goals for the Tigers in a win over Carlton. His equal best output. Um, the Tigers beat Footscray by nine points. They beat Geelong by three. In this game, it was kind of won by Brian Davey, who laid a desperate tackle, preventing Geelong's Norm Rayson running into an open goal late in the game. So saving that game. Um... And also, they beat South by one, Fitzroy by 22, North by 23, and then smashed and killed it by 94 uh, late in the season. Gee, um, that was a few very close wins,
2: in, very close ones in a row, though, there. It was, yeah, but a
0: bit of, you know, a little bit too little, too late. Yeah. Um, but also, with Panem ending at the season's end, guess who returned as vice president? Oh, who? Jack Dyer. Hey, oh, yes. Get rid of that Collingwood, man, and I'll come yeah, back. Yeah, I'll come back in. Um, some other interesting news here as well. In October, Harry Dyke announced that Richmond had signed Graham Polly Farmer from Western Australia. Really? Yeah, so he'd been over as part of the Western Australia team as a, as a teenager. Um, he'd actually stayed with Des Rowe for a little bit of time and, and Richmond managed to get his signature saying if he comes to Victoria in the next two years, he's, he's on asked. our list. Okay. Um, he was contracted to his Western Australian team so there was, there was no chance of him coming.
2: No, okay, but they just got him got him on the line just in case Yeah And then obviously that ran out
0: Yeah, but I thought that was really interesting I, Like, you never really hear about that when you hear about Polly It's, you know, kind of Perth and
2: Geelong Yeah, well, that's it, yeah But he was actually connected to Richmond, so yeah, there you go Originally Wow
1: In fifth place, Footscray with 12 wins, 6 losses, percentage
2: 130 So the reigning Premier's Footscray Footscray Well, we we're already talking about them Fifth. So what do you do? Mm. So a coach, a captain coach by Charlie Sutton. Best and fairest was Peter Box. Lead goal kicker, Jack Collins with 60.
0: All right, so some debutantes. Are Kevin Smith. I feel like we've, we had a Kevin Smith playing for someone else recently as well. Ivan Westercott and Alec Gardner. Mm. Now, early in the season, the papers wrote that now that Footscray have won their first league premiership the team should with wise management be a big power in the VFL for some years to come
2: Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: and well we know they finished fifth <laughs> yeah. um, and we'll kind of explain why Sutton moved himself full time from Rover to Ford pocket as a bit of a foil to Arthur Collins if you remember that it worked in the grand yep. final yep. Um, but also
2: he's definitely slowing down well that's what I said so, yeah he's moving himself out of the, the motor yep yep
0: Round two at Western Oval. They had um
2: they had uh, one of their one of their um Premiership players leave as well at the beginning of the season. Um Alan with the half back flanker Alan Martin left left to go coach in the country. He was are. the only player to leave after winning a flag. So okay. after them winning a flag. So there you go. Round one, you wouldn't have thought anything was amiss. They
0: smashed the pies by. A a big number, um, which is un- <laughs> a lot, <laughs> <laughs> which is unlike the Pirates. They very rarely lose in round one. Yep. Uh, Jack Collins kicked eight goals, um, but the biggest worry on Charlie Sutton's mind at this stage was bloody complacency. Round two at the West Oval, both the Dogs and the Tigers lined up as the band played three cheers for the red, white, and blue, and over 32,000 barrackers roared as Mrs. Otto Grobecker, wife of the president, unfurled the Premiership flag and hugged Charlie Sutton. The Doggies won this game by 31.
2: They did, yeah. even though the President's wife unfurled the flag. There we go. And then they
0: slumped, losing ah. three of the next four to Melbourne, Geelong and Fitzroy. Things were a little bit, you know, not quite as they should be. Uh, round 12, the Doggies took on Collingwood again at Western Oval in front of 42,354 people, with the Doggies trailing by nine points heading into the last quarter. But they held the Pies goalless in that final quarter to win by a kick. Alan Truslett, with three, was a leading scorer on the ground. In round 14, they had a thrilling one-point win over your boys at Melbourne Demons <laughs> with uh, Trusler kicking the game winner with just seconds remaining. But then losses to Essendon and Geelong suddenly had them in danger of, of missing finals. Being that embarrassing reigning premier that can't make finals. <laughs> Come round 18, they needed to beat North Melbourne by a big margin to boost their percentage above Essendon who led them by 0.6%. North jumped them in the first before the doggy steadied, to, steadied the ship to win by 60 points. Jack Collins kicked eight, but it wasn't enough, enough to bridge that percentage gap as the Bombers also had a win. Um, what's more remarkable was that this, the previous season, they qualified for finals with 46 wins, uh, forty six points.
2: Yep. And this year... This then... year, they had 48 points. And missed it. Yeah. yeah. By 0.6%, as you said. Which I think
0: was the record until, <laughs> until <laughs> 2017. Because I think that was... I, I did, the, did the math. That was 0.5%. <laughs> Don't. Mm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the look of joy, if you guys could see the look of joy on Tim's face saying that. Yeah. Hey,
0: there is lots of demon's joy to come from. <laughs> oh, yeah, about yeah,
2: it. it's going to be okay.
1: <laughs> In fourth place, Essendon scraping into the final four. 12 wins, 6 losses. Percentage 130.6. Point 6 more than Footscray. That's all he needed.
0: Ah, speaking of that team that finished above Footscray and qualified for finals. Ah,
2: yes. The same old Essendon. There they are. Fourth. In the finals, so uh, coached by the king, Dickie Reynolds, Reynolds captained by Bill Hutchison, and he also won their best and fairest this year. And then we had Hugh Mitchell with 51 goals, leading yeah, Hugh the goal. Mitchell killer. had a
0: good, good season. Uh, some debutants: Dougie Dench, Graham Wiley, and Rob Fox. Ah. Uh, big news as well, John Coleman was married pre-season. And many hoped that he would improve his recovery and be back into the side soon. Yeah, of course, because
2: he's got a broken leg. Yeah, so speaking from the future, we know he doesn't come back. No, yeah, but 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 at the time, you're like... he'll come back, yeah. Plenty of people break their legs and come back. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He did his knee. He didn't break his leg. He did his
2: knee. I thought it was broken. No, maybe I'm wrong. No, no, I think you're wrong. I just remember hearing the when we were talking to Jack, and he's like, I heard it go. Yeah. Yeah. hear a knee pop. Wow. Anyway.
0: So round one... Uh, led by Hugh Mitchell, six goals. The Bombers beat up on the Tigers by 17, the inaccurate Tigers, we said. Yes. Round two, Mitchell added another six in the thumping of the Saints. Round three, with three more goals against North, Mitchell was not Coleman, but he was providing a good target. And now here's a very interesting story, a little little anecdote from Dan Eddy's book about Dick Reynolds. Following this win, um, preseason, Dick Reynolds was almost struck by lightning. What? So there was a massive storm that rolled through uh, Melbourne. He was in the middle of Windy Hill chatting to uh, Doug Bigelow and a bolt of lightning struck the ground between them as they were talking.
2: Between them?
0: Apparently, yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, This obviously brought them back to earth. uh, They (laughs) played the Doggies and were held to their lowest ever score against the Doggies in two goals, 11. Although, I mean, the Doggies only scored four goals, 12 themselves, so it must have been a terrible... Day.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We. We. As we said, it must the weather must have been shocking. Not a great day for football if there's six goals
0: in total kicked between the two teams. No. In round eight, the Bombers beat South by 38 at Windy Hill. Um, Hugh Mitchell was moved from the wing to full forward just after quarter time, and after quarter time, he scored nine goals six, which, bar one point, was the Bombers' entire score after quarter time. <laughs> um, this was even more impressive knowing his opponent was Fred Goldsmith. Yeah. Um, the Bombers won six of the next seven, only losing quite heavily to a strong Melbourne team. Yeah, well, I mean, on, <laughs> yeah, what can you do? In round 17, they thrashed the Magpies, though, by 73 points. So the turnaround from what the Demons did to them, they did not did to Collingwood. 73 points at Windy Hill, Hutchie with five, Bob Fox with four. Well, so really, that's what clinched them their spot in the yeah, finals. Yeah, that big win, which no one expected either. No. Because Collingwood was, you know, equal first at this stage, vying for a double chance... Absolutely steamrolled by the Bombers. So
2: even even if they just snatched, snatched a win, they probably wouldn't have made it. So yeah. there you go. They came into the last round having
0: to beat the Hawks to make finals by a large enough margin to qualify above the Doggies. Uh, they led by 10 points at halftime but kicked seven goals to two after halftime to win by seven goals and edge out the Doggies by 0.6%. Um, Reynolds wrote in the paper afterwards, Well, we made it, but in my 22 years of football, I've never known a tougher struggle. There
2: you go. But that's the, I mean, well everything's the, come easy to Dick, hasn't it? Really? <laughs> yeah. Yes and no? Uh,
0: but that's like the same as the demons won a few years ago. That you know, that's one one more goal by Hawthorne and they wouldn't have made it, or one more yeah. goal by the doggies. So that fine, you know how important every
1: goal is. That's it. Third place, Geelong, fourteen wins, four losses.
2: Percentage 122.8. So yes, Geelong, coached by Red uh captained by Bob Davis. Our best and fairest winner is Jeff Williams. Noel Rayson, lead goal kicker with 80. Mm.
0: Um, yeah. So Bobby Davis replacing Bernie Smith as captain. With Smith demoted, De Mo- I suppose, the vice captain. Yeah. But from what we know about Bernie Smith, he wasn't really captain material. He's a bit of a lad, a bit of a, bit of a larrikin who uh, didn't always play by the rules. No. Um But yes. Yeah, Geelong weren't really expected to be in premiership calculations, but but definitely were this season. Um, they had lost, through retirement, a significant number of former premiership stars in the offseason, and they were a pretty young team. So, They had, had at least seven teenagers, so they, maybe they were kidding They're again. back to kidding you, so okay. Um, they beat South easily in the opening game of the season. The second term actually opened with Peter Pianto giving South Seaburn a 15-yard penalty because he threw the ball away after a free kick. I don't know if that was the first 15 metre penalty paid, but.
2: Yeah. Or maybe for that, yeah.
0: Round four saw the Cats win by 10 points over Fitzroy in what was Nipper Trezise's 100th game. In the first quarter, 11 goals, sorry, 11 behinds were scored in succession. Following this game, though, Troubles Flanagan, one of our favourites, announced his retirement,
2: saying. Ah. After playing so many years without serious injury, I can't risk injury now, so I'm going into business. I've had a wonderful innings, and I'm not sorry to go. Ten years in the game is a long time. Mm. So Troubles has talked himself into retiring. <laughs> of course he has.
0: But he, like, So they, this is 55. They won the
2: flag in 52.
0: <gasps> yep. So only, what's that, three seasons later, only eight members of that team remain now that Troubles has gone.
2: Yeah. Wow. Okay. that's yeah, quite so a turnover, especially when they were such a young side as well. Yeah. Like as we said, yeah. So, um,
0: so round thirteen they took on Melbourne, and an interesting little anecdote: round at three-quarter time, a small girl dashed across Cardinia Park to umpire Bitesell <laughs> seeking his autograph. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was a good, a big, strong win for the Cats, though, over the Demons. Uh, significant boost for the team, kind of proving they could match it with the yeah, big teams. Uh, absolutely. Especially considering they trailed by ten points heading into the final quarter. In round 16, Captain Bobby Davis kicked two goals, an exciting match, but then dislocated his shoulder in what was a three-point win over Footscray. And unfortunately, he missed the rest of the season. This is what he had to say.
2: I was bouncing the ball when Alec Gardner moved into, my, into tackle me from my blind side. He grabbed me around the waist, but as I tried to slip the tackle, his grip slipped to my legs and I was brought to earth with a rugby-type tackle. The ball was sandwiched between my shoulder and the ground, and I was in absolute agony. Yep. Um, didn't affect them the following week, week, though, when they smashed
0: the Saints. Uh, in this game, the Cats training staff member in Fred Rowe was one of the first official messages under the new league rules allowing trainers to carry messages to players.
2: Oh, so he's like a runner. it? Yeah. like our first runner, actually. Okay. I, I think Norm Smith was already doing this. Yes,
0: yeah, but, but, but kind of sneakily. It. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and then in round 18, one of their players, Harry Herbert, broke his leg in the loss to Carlton. So, Carlton, so Geelong limping into finals with quite an injured team. Um, but also you mentioned Noel Race, and he topped the goal kicking as well for the season. Yes, so he is the uh, the first Coleman Medal winner with seventy seven goals
2: for the home and away season. And yeah, a couple in the in the a- after. Yeah, so there you go. All right, Collingwood. Collingwood in second place with fourteen wins and four losses, one hundred and twenty seven point five. So the pies, coached by Fon's Kine, captained by Lou the Lip. Uh, Des Healy won the best and fairest this year. And Ken Smale leading the goal kicking with 47. Ken Smale. Yeah. Um, Kaz, can you
0: tell us a bit about debutant Ray Gablitch?
1: Ray Gablitch, virtually unbeatable at stoppages, was one of Collingwood's best players in the 1958 grand final win over Melbourne. Um, He won the Copeland Trophy a couple of years later in 1960, then quits footy. He doesn't have a very successful career in real estate, so comes back and becomes vice captain for Collingwood, and in 1964 becomes captain after Wiedemann retires, uh, and they he leads them to a grand final that year, and this happens. His lone 50-yard run for goal in the dying stages of that game becomes part of footy folklore at the ball, as the ball bounced from side to side, the Colossus was determined to ram home the goal and the heroic effort put his side in the lead with only moments to go. But Melbourne snatched victory. And he actually retires the next year, um, unfortunately. Um, but that is Ray Gablish. So round one, we also t- already
0: talked about their uh, out-of-the-ordinary nine-goal loss to Footscreen, knowing how usually they, they kick off a season on fire. But then, you know, not to worry because they had big wins over North and St Kilda to really kickstart their season. Only then to falter against Hawthorne, despite leading at three quarter time. Um, round five, they started in devastating fashion against Carlton, kicking nine goals seven in the first quarter to three goals one. Nine seven to three one. Yeah. Huge. Uh, Cruise to a 25 point win. Neil Mann leading the way with four goals. Uh, in So they were kind of in cruise control. Round 11, they faced off against an unbeaten Melbourne. And in a tough, unrelenting war of attrition, Collingwood did what they did to Geelong a few years earlier and mm-hmm. stopped their unbeaten run by two points, kicking three goals to one in the last quarter in a low-scoring they're game. They're really
2: good at ruining it for aren't other they? teams, aren't they? God, they're the worst. <laughs>
0: uh, in round 13, Bob Rose injured himself in a win over North, straining tendons in his knee and bruising his hand, and he would miss the rest of the home and away season. Yeah. Luckily, things then you know, went into cruise control again for the rest of the season until they came up against the might of Essendon in the second last <laughs> round, who thumped them by 73 points. Um, Lou Richards remembers this game. Uh, during the game, Des Healy, who was having an absolute blinder of a season, his best season yet, kicked a stab pass um, Lou's way. And Lou would usually eat these up, but bounced off his chest. about oh. 35 metres away, and he had the crowd, you know, Bronx cheering him. 35 um, metres off the chest, yeah, more, wow. You know, yeah, 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 <laughs> uh, He also credited Bill Hutchinson as receiving the last whack he ever gave in league football. <laughs> following this loss, Captain Lou Richards found himself out of favour. He had the following exchange with Fonz. Uh yes, yes, Lou, what's up?
2: Uh, uh, look, I think I might give it away. Res- resign. That's fine, Lou. Okay, Murray, pass it to Tharald. That's right. So just dismissed
0: wasn't he out yeah. of hand yeah so in a very nonchalant way Lou Richard retired after exactly 250 games yeah uh, with Neil Mann taking over the reins as captain for the rest of the season but
4: yes yeah, I mean how's that
0: when you know it's time it's time I suppose time. yeah exactly yeah. yeah but odd I mean one game left finals coming why that's would you, it like, You're why right. drop a player with experience just before finals
2: yeah must, be, must have been some other stuff going on behind the scenes. Poss- yeah,
0: Possibly. In the final round Collingwood beat Fitzroy by 10 points to finish the season second on the ladder
1: which gets us up to And in first place Melbourne 15 wins and 3 losses percentage a whopping 150.5 Charlie.
2: The Mighty D's sitting on top of the world <sighs> as they should be uh, so, you know all this stuff by heart, though, not yeah, you? I, yeah, I hope, mate. I mean, I do. <laughs> yeah. So, coached by Norm Smith, the Red Fox, captain by Noel McMahon, best and fairest was Stewie Spencer, and our leading goal kicker, Stewie Spencer, with 42.
0: All right. Sit back and uh, just listen to all this. Charlie. Oh, I'm looking
2: forward to it. I'm going to put up, the, put up the feet. Jeff McGiven tore a
0: fire muscle in the preseason, so he'd missed the first 11 rounds. Not to worry, though, because they won the first 10. Uh, <laughs> round one, they started the year off with a bang. Although they trailed the wooden spoon of St Kilda by three points at quarter time um, because they'd scored two goals, 11 at one stage, they steadied the ship to win by 59. Okay, that's all right. We could take that. <laughs> Round two against Geelong was Melbourne's 1000th game. It was supposed to be a ding dong clash between you know, a top team and an up and coming team, but it ended being a bit of a fizzer. The Demons storming to a five goal lead by the 15 minute mark of the first quarter. Noel Clark scored seven goals as they smashed the Cats 111 62. Round three was the grand final rematch, and the Demons were missing five of their key players. Uh, They still managed to win the game, though. (laughs) Although they couldn't kick a goal in the final quarter, they kicked nine points to the Doggies' one goal, two, to win by two goals. Ron Barassi widely considered to be best on ground. Round seven, we spoke about this a bit earlier. Everything was going wrong in this game. In the second quarter, Stuart Spencer took the ball in defense, took a bounce, the ball bounced over his head to the, to a swan who ran in for an open goal. Are kidding? And you can just imagine Norm Smith's reaction to that. Yeah. Um, and then later on, Norm Clark was actually carted off with concussion. Stuart Spencer was also knocked out. And at one stage, they trailed by 29 points late in the third. Uh, in I think it was a 23-minute mark. Bob Pratt Jr. kicked the goal, which put them, I think, 23 points ahead. These basically needed five goals in five minutes. Yeah. It was, you know, it was done. It was
2: done. Game was over.
0: Don uh, Don Cordner, Dennis Cordner.
2: Den Dennis. No, hang on. Don Cordner. Don. Cordner. Yeah. Decided, you know, we'll
0: just just give it one more hitch, Uh, and he sparked the demons to a remarkable comeback. They kicked the five required goals to win the game, including three in time on, to snatch a one-point victory. Um, I think many demons players, you know, this say this is the most unbelievable game they ever played in. Really love that the comeback. Uh, round nine was a similar game, so they became a bit of the comeback kings. Uh, Richmond led them all day by 25 points early in the final quarter, only for the Demons to slam on seven goals, six to win by 16 points. That's what it's all about, plenty of ticker. Mm. Then, round ten, win over Fitzroy gave the new club, that gave them a new club winning record. So, ten wins in a row, which was uh, you know beating the record set in the 27-28 season. Not not quite Geelong's 23 in a row, is it? But no. Right. <laughs> um, but then the the Buddy Magpies had you know, stopped their winning streak by, it. by only three points at Victoria Park as well. Bounced back to beat the Saints, holding them to their lowest score since 1921, <laughs> which is three goals, three 21. Uh, and then in round 12, Ron Barassi had chickenpox. Really? He caught chickenpox off, uh, off Norm Smith's son. <laughs> and he missed the team's one point loss to Footscray. Barassi was actually sent to train by himself in quarantine in Vale. The papers referring to him as the spotted demon. <laughs> <laughs> Love it uh, Round 13 So that was you know Two losses In three matches They then had Another loss In round 13 Against the Cats At Cardinia Park uh, In this game Keith Carroll Was given the job Of minding the Geelong Flyer Bobby Davis And copped a knee To the groin Early on Which burst A blood vessel Ooh. So he took himself Off the ground And was absolutely Blasted by Norm Smith For, for giving up For appearing to give up While Norm was Laying into him uh, Keith Carroll passed out. <laughs> uh, the Cats won by 19 points, um, but this game had umpire Harry Bitesell declaring it the, f- the f- defining contest in the history of the game.
2: Really? Because of its free-flowing run of style. Yeah. Get that into 2021, we it's say.
0: Absolutely. Even though it's the low-scoring season. Yeah. Um, round 18 and 19. So in round 18, 19-year-old Athol Webb had a day out playing at full forward on uh, South champion Fred Goldsmith as well. Webb would have 16 shots at goal but only score four of them. Which I, I guess in the Norm Smith coach team was considered a bag. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, by season's end the Demons finished on top of the VFL letter for the first time since 1940. Their 15-3 and 3 record was their best effort since 1939. They were the heaviest scoring team in the competition for the first time since forty one. Their percentage of 150.5 was to be the highest of any team coached by Norm Smith. Um, and since 1931, only one team had achieved the higher percentage. It was Essendon. Um, but yeah. A, it's a good year. A good year is, is what we're saying. Yeah,
2: absolutely.
0: Uh, which gets to that. That's top of the ladder. So that's top of the ladder.
2: Uh, that's the mighty D sitting right there. Uh, so let's cross to Moz
0: with the Brownlow. And she can also tell us about the team of 1955.
4: The Brownlow down low with Moz. The Brownlow medalist this year was a very exciting anomaly for the Brownlow because uh, he was the first backline player to win the award, and it was Fred Goldsmith playing for South Melbourne. Although he hadn't had a very impressive forward flanking background before he was drafted to the VFL, um, in fact, in 1950, he scored 29 goals in one game playing for Spotswood. Um, the Bloods started him as a Sorry, so he yeah, he'd had that um, background playing as a forward, but then when the Bloods drafted him as a full forward, he didn't have much success in his first two seasons. So that it, so they then in the nineteen fifty-five season put him in the back line where he thrived. However, the decision to have him in the back line was often changed mid-game depending on the way the wind was going, because But South weren't going very well. They needed him to be wherever he was most needed. So if they were losing by lots, I guess he'd be in the back line trying to stop the goals. If they were going okay, he'd be trying to score the goals. That's how I read it anyway. Um, Goldsmith was rarely outmarked in the back line and he kicked whopper straight balls out of the danger half straight to the middle of the ground. He was known for his huge kicks. Um, I've got a little snippet from Peter Blair's book here, The History of the Brownlow, about Goldsmith's first season, which I found very interesting. I'm just flicking to that page. Okay. It says here, Winning the Brownlow was the furthest thing from Fred Goldsmith's mind after his second game of VFL football. Having joined South Melbourne from Spotswood, Goldsmith made a quiet debut as a forward in round one of 1951 season. In his second round match, he lined up on the, on the notorious Don Mopsy Fraser of Richmond, arguably the most feared footballer in the game's history. I took a mark about 30 yards out and kicked a goal, recalled Goldsmith, now 63 years old. And old now, because this book was written a while ago. As I walked past Mopsy on my way back to the goal square, he kicked me, breaking my ankle. As I lay there, he said, Anything I do on the ground, I forget. And I just sort of said, yes. Uh, Fraser's kick effectively finished Goldsmith's debut season and, just after, and after just eight games as a spindly forward in 1952, he found himself in the reserves for the first six games in 1953. So there you go. So, he, yeah, his first few seasons were questionable and now he's the backliner and he's acing it. Um, he finished this season with 21 votes, only winning by one vote with Essendon's Bill Hutchison trying his best to take out another Brownlow, finishing on 20 votes, and St Kilda's N. Roberts on 16 votes. Perfect. Um, It's also noteworthy that Goldsmith won the award not only as a fullback, but also whilst playing for such a struggling team. Yeah. There you go. Go Goldsmith. The 1955 Sporting Life magazine Team of the Year, and I believe this is the last team of the year as well, so here we go, in the back line was Collingwood's Lerrell Sharp, Footscray's Herb Henderson and Geelong's Norm Sharp. Any relation there? The Sharps? Okay. Um, Halfbacks, Carlton's John James, Norwood's Jim Taylor and Richmond's Des Rowe. The centres were Port Adelaide's Harold MacDonald, West Torrens' Lindsay Head and Collingwood's Des Healey. Half forwards, South Frio's Barry White, Richmond's Ray Poulter and Collingwood's... Th- now, I don't know how to say this name. Thorold? Yeah. Torold? Thorold. Thorold Merritt. Um, in the, for- the forward line was East Frio's Jack Clark, Carlton's Noel Bryan and Geelong's Peter Pianto. And finally, the followers were Norwood's John Marriott, Melbourne's Dennis Cordner, and Essendon's Bill Hutchison. There you go. Um,
0: so, in that team, it's surprising to learn there's only one Melbourne player. Well, Dennis Cordner.
2: Yeah, there you go. I mean, a good one. Yeah, but that's um the, sign of the brass a Well, I think you know, you talk about that. It is the sign of a of a balanced team, I guess, mm. isn't it? You're not too reliant on any one player.
0: Three Collingwood players and one Richmond. Yeah. Anyway. Mm. Interesting. Can't get it right every time. <laughs> finals. This it's be, finals. It, this will be the year we finally get our final song out. Yeah, yes. Yeah, finally. We'll get Kaz it done. And I have started working on it. There's a, de- there's a demo recording we've done. <laughs> It'll happen. It's happening. It'll it's happen. happening. Yeah.
2: So our first semi... Was Geelong and Essendon. And look, the Bombers coming into this game as favourites because Geelong are so injured. That's it. And yeah, you guys finished finished very strongly, right? Beating Collingwood and yeah, so going well. So on uh, the 27th of August uh, at the G, in front of 68,109 people, uh, Essendon and Geelong squared off and Essendon... Didn't do so well. weren't awake yet, well, I don't think. Well, look at that think. first half. Yeah. The
0: Cats held the Bombers to one goal in the first half to really set up the win.
2: Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, yeah, a halftime score of 1-4 to 6-4, yep. Geelong's way, you're in a fair bit of trouble. Yeah. Um, The real reason for this win was eyes uh, though who absolutely
0: shut Hutchie out of the game. Oh, really? Yeah, tagged him out um, with the papers calling it the decisive move of the game, so like a tagging job. Yep. Um, the final margin of eight points really flooded the Cats' Uh, really, five the Bombers, actually. They added five of their seven goals in that last quarter. Yes. So, I mean, that's you know, eight points. Doesn't really reflect how dominant Geelong were. Geelong were for the majority of the
2: game, yeah. Geez, that would have been a nail-biting last quarter to watch, though. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Massive. Well, yeah, so that's uh, Essendon, unfortunately, bundled out of the finals. Yeah, but at least we made it. You did. You were there. You were there. Yeah. That's it. Uh, so, taking us to the second final, Melbourne-Collingwood... Uh, on the, 3rd, on the 3rd of September, a week later, in front of 59,000 people... In a mud heap of a ground. Yes. What,
0: players slithered and slid in all directions, apparently. And good football was n- well-nigh impossible. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, while other players floundered in the mud and heavy rain, Melbourne Rover Stuart Spencer played like it was a dry, sunny day. As he just skipped over the top of it. In a tight tussle, where no more than two kicks separated the teams for the entire day, Spencer was a class above the rest of the field. He handled the ball with amazing dexterity, re- uh, revealed speed and dash in breaking away from the packs and showed a clean pair of heels to his rivals on many occasions. It was his grand efforts in the first half during which he kicked three of Melbourne's four goals that kept the Demons in the play. He finished with five majors of the eight scored by his side, a remarkable achievement for a rover under such conditions. Yeah, some, of his, yeah, some of his long, skimming punts travelled 50 yards and they never looked like missing. Um, Stuart Spencer's remarkably accurate goal-kicking with the waterlogged ball clinched the game for Melbourne by 11 points.
2: That's right. So final score there, Melbourne's 8-8-56, beating out Collingwood 6-9-45. So another low-scoring affair.
0: Yes. Yeah, not, not great football, is it? It, it looks all very familiar.
2: <laughs> yeah, do, yeah, doesn't it? So uh, bringing us to the prelim, which is Collingwood-Geelong.
0: It was... Um, And, yeah, the weather was a little bit better for this one. Uh, In the second term of this, Bob Rose kicked a massive 60-meter goal to help inspire his team. Um, The the Magpies jumping out to a a bit of a lead and holding it. They kicked 5-1 to 3-3 in the first quarter. Um, They were able to generate a winning drive with Mann, Lucas, the catalyst in the middle, driving Collingwood to a two-goal win. Murray Wiedemann kicked three goals. um, And Coach Fons Kine... Said this after the prelim.
2: It was pleasing to see Collingwood come back so strongly. I was wondering if the hard game against Melbourne a week earlier would have affected our boys. They didn't give Geelong an inch, and I believe we won the game in the first half. I must admit I'm a bit of a pessimist, and when Geelong took the lead in that third quarter, I thought some of our fellows were feeling the effects of the last semi-final. I had a few anxious moments. We won in the rucks. We blanketed the Geelong half-forward line and more than held Geelong across the centre. One thing that impressed me tremendously was the great spirit of the Collingwood players. They'd made up their minds they were going to play in the grand final, and nothing was going to stop them. Indeed.
0: Which brings us to another Melbourne Collingwood grand final. Yeah, this would have to be the yeah. Yeah, Collingwood never beaten Melbourne in the grand final. Yeah,
2: twenty
0: six and thirty nine. I think were the other two.
2: Yeah, twenty
0: six. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, now in the lead up to this game, young player Brian Dixon, who had played sixteen of the eighteen games for the season, um, you know he, he he didn't play in the semi but was looking to play in the grand final. But he made a silly mistake. What did he do? He, um, he, he was a Melbourne University student and yep. played in, in the university side in their grand final. Stupidly, he was best on ground and splashed his face across the, the papers. Uh, and Norm found out and was absolutely furious. That dropped, he played. And dropped him, yeah. Because you don't play for two sides. Your priority is the Melbourne Football Club. Um, Dixon was devastated, but you know Norm always put the team first ahead of individuals.
2: Yeah, and they yes, they had a very interesting relationship. I mean, if you haven't read The Red Fox, <laughs> do yourself a favour. but, but uh, yeah. But, um,
0: from what it talks about as well is that uh, Barassi was there as well when he was absolutely grilling Dixon, and, and Barassi took this on and kind of get, like understanding this and definitely taking some of that fire into his coaching later. Yeah, on. yeah,
2: later on. Yeah, interesting. So, on the seventeenth of September, nineteen fifty-five, in front of eighty-eight thousand and fifty-three people at the MCG, we had Melbourne and Collingwood squaring off again, as you said.
0: Third time, but uh, let's uh, let's let's go to our old way back when machine to, mm-hmm. to, to chat to uh, the captain,
2: Mel McMahon. Noel McMahon.
0: Yeah, you'll enjoy this chat.
2: Oh, I can't wait.
0: G'day Noel, are you there? Welcome to our show.
5: Thanks guys, my greatest pleasure to chat to you all.
2: Now, was today's win a bit unexpected?
5: Not unexpected. I think we took the flag perhaps a bit earlier than we anticipated, but all the boys were magnificent. They never let up an inch.
0: And especially after last year's disappointment.
5: As we were second last year, perhaps it is fitting that we should go on uh, one higher this year. The boys showed heaps of team spirit and lots of dash and pace. They finished well, and I think most onlookers will say that we were the better team. But there is no doubt about this Collingwood side. It never gives up, and we had to fight all the way.
2: Now, you guys had a big season, finished on top. Were you confident your experience last year would hold you in good stead?
5: It was a big season for us. We wanted to prove that last season was no fluke. We had worked hard all year. We didn't want to waste it.
0: Well, the semi-final against Collingwood was hard fought, but you won by 11 points. Uh, What learnings did you take out of that game?
5: Well, it was a wet, muddy day, so we learned that we won't want to play in those conditions if we can help it. But seriously, we know that our leaders can stand up in any condition, and that we can take on any team in any weather.
2: I bet the week's rest uh, helped uh, those weary legs as well.
5: Absolutely. Especially knowing that if the magpies made made it through, they would be exhausted.
0: So you were fresh as a daisy, but uh, Norm Smith pulled a selection surprise. Well, maybe not a surprise, but omitting Brian Dixon from the team was a big move.
5: Yeah, well not really. We know Norm really well. He has standards and expectations. Brian knew he shouldn't have played in that that game for his uni, and yes, it was devastating, but he's young, he will learn from this and hopefully get another chance.
2: Yeah, and a very different day uh, from the semi-final against the Magpies.
5: Yes, the G was bathed in brilliant sunshine today. How
2: did you
0: feel lining up for that first bounce?
5: Well, funny you mention it. Before the first bounce, I looked around and noticed that all of the Collingwood players seemed to only come up to our shoulders. We had a striking physical advantage over the field. Umpire Beetzel turned to me and asked if I was ready. And I replied, I'm ready if you are, and it was on.
2: Now, early in the game, the Magpies found um, that their confidence and their pace was being met everywhere by a stiffer resistance from you boys. They were under a much more menacing pressure from you demons.
5: Well, Norm was very clear that we would have played the football, but old Checker Hughes had his saying. I'm not sure if you know it, but he used to tell all the boys, once Collingwood starts to handball, meet the player with sure front footy. We made sure that, we, that they earned all their disposals with solid bumping.
0: Bob Rose got the first goal of the match after a demon
2: mistake, Uh, were you nervous?
5: Not nervous, mistakes happen so we moved on quickly.
2: Yeah and you seemed to make him pay for that goal, Uh, he was going for a run, bounced the ball twice, he kicked it and before his feet landed you ran in and delivered what was described at the time as a a fierce bone-shaking bump.
5: Well, he only had himself to blame. Fancy taking the risk of bouncing the ball twice in the first quarter of a grand final, especially when you're the best player. I couldn't believe my luck, you're always on the lookout to crunch a champion if the opportunity presents itself. He set himself up, you just don't do that. Everything's red hot, so it's asking for trouble.
0: Well, Collingwood fans were ropeable and uh, were rewarded with a down the field free, which got them their uh, second goal.
5: I was bloody ropeable. I screamed at Beetzel, it shouldn't have been a free. I didn't use my bloody elbow, I bumped him perfectly, but the umpire told me to look at the crowd, who were on their feet baying for blood. He thought they were going to climb the fence and kill him if he didn't do something. Beetle had, for want of a better term, soiled his pants.
2: So the second quarter you came alive, but the kicking was off.
5: Yeah, we should have blown them out of the water there, there and then, but managed just one goal seven. But the Pies didn't score in that time, so where the confidence going into half-time.
0: Well, they almost went two goals without a goal. They almost went two quarters without a goal.
5: Well, our back line stood tall. We, Williams, McGiven, and, other, and others were strong. Full credit to them.
2: Were you worried in the third when the Pies clawed it back a bit with late goals to Smale and Rose? uh, And they were only seven points down.
5: No, we knew that we had their measure and once the final quarter had started, we kicked quick goals from Bob Johnson and Bob McKenzie early in the last term, which gave us a really handy break. And we never really looked back from there.
0: Now, we can't mention this game without talking about the Adams and Healy incident. Did you see it?
5: What an, well, an unfortunate incident. So I saw the whole thing. Healy was breaking clear of the pack near the centre, the ball under his arms at top speed. Out of the blue came Bluey, like a bullet out of a gun straight at him. Probably like the spectators, I waited for the elusive Healy side-step, but he didn't see it coming. The players collided and fell unconscious. It was a horrible scene.
2: How did the fans react to the incident?
5: It was weird. The crowd made a tremendous but strangely hushed, ooh, to begin with, but then, didn't the Collingwood crowd how? It was natural though. They have to have an outlet for that tension and disappointment which had built up during the game.
0: And they were calling for his blood.
5: If Bluey had not been unconscious, anything could have happened. I doubt if there was I doubt if there's ever been an uglier crowd. They all decided that Bluey had deliberately charged Des Healy to put him out of the game.
2: Yeah. Do you reckon Bluey intended to hit him?
5: Are you kidding me? Of course he didn't. Would a man race at another head on and knock himself out to put a man out of the game already won? Bluey's not that sort of footballer. Bluey had intended to deliver a legit hip and shoulder, but as he had in the previous year's preliminary final when he ran onto the field and flattened Geelong big man uh, Bob Wiltshire. But unfortunately for Bluey, he got it all wrong this time.
0: Some Collingwood fans might point to that incident as the reason for losing.
5: Well, I think that's just a ridiculous thing to say. The game was done and dusted at that point. Those Magpies supporters were just looking for something to blame their loss on.
2: So, I bet the celebrations were loud and raucous?
5: Uh, Well, not as full on as you would assume. I think after the Bluey-Adams and Adams collision, we were a little bit more subdued. But we are about to head into the ballroom. I'm sure they will be drinking and singing till the wee hours of the night.
0: Best players today, Noel?
5: Well, Dennis Cordner was the standout for mine. Just superb in the ruck all day. All season long, actually. Barassi, Melville, uh, Murray, like I said, the whole back line. Just amazing today.
2: And many experts are saying this is just the beginning for the Dees.
5: It will get easier next year. We've broken through and done it once, and now we know we can do it. So let's capitalise on this successful period and win some more premierships.
0: Any final words?
5: Well, to summer, it was a great year for Melbourne, and we meant to finish off the right way, and we did that today. Thanks, guys.
2: Beautiful. Thanks. Thanks. What a fella. So there we go.
0: So here's some stats from that game. Goal kickers were... For Melbourne, Clark with three, Ridley three, Laidlaw and Mackenzie with one each. For Collingwood, Wiedemann kicked two, Jones, Bob Rose and Smart Smails. I think it each. is. Yeah. Uh, best few for, for for Melbourne were Don with Cord- uh, Dennis Cordner, Barassi and Melville.
2: So, again, a very low-scoring affair, 64-36. to Um, And let's, very quickly, that
0: that horrible incident that... Right um, at the end. ...spoke about, yeah. So, Healy had his nose broken in five places and and was revealed later that he had fractured his skull. Yep. And Um, that was the end. Yeah. And Bluey Adams, 15-second playing time is the shortest uh, grand final game in history. Well,
2: yeah, of course it is. (laughs) 15 seconds, just straight on.
0: Yep. Um, Now, there's still a few other bits and pieces about Melbourne here. So after the game, and I think Noel might have alluded to this, um, they had some wild celebrations back at the MCC. Uh, There was some singing and dancing, and they actually jumped up on the bar, and, and they sung a rendition of the Collingwood Football Club song, but about themselves, about Melbourne. And... We got we got some some uh, audio. We were behind the scenes. Yeah, we got some audio. So let's uh, let's yes. to listen to that. Good old going forever They knew how to play the game.
2: Side by side they fell together to the might of the demons. Hey, hear the characters squealing
5: blood like their characters do
2: for the precious cake for the, the
1: good
5: old red and blue.
0: Um, in October as well, um, they took a trip over to Port Adelaide in a night exhibition game. Yep. Um, and in Barassi's book, he claims it was for the Champions of Australia title, which hadn't been contested since 1914.
2: No, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it
0: was more of an exhibition game, but I guess... In that vein. Yeah, Melbourne supporters have claimed it's the Championship of Australia.
2: Um, so we, were we the Champions of Australia?
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> scores were level with no time left. John Beckwith uh, had the ball in the back pocket where his position was. And you know he had two choices. He could do the team thing, which was kick down the down the uh, the wing, the, down the boundary. Don't kick it in the centre. Yeah. Or kick it in the centre because Bluey Adams was on the back line, was free. And he did the. the, the he went against Norm Smith's rules. Kicked it to Adams. Adams collect, collected the ball. Kicked the winning point. Beckwith was bloody terrified. He was going to get blasted <laughs> by Norm, though. But Norm let it slide. <laughs> yeah, Turned a well, blind eye. Yeah. Just this one time.
2: Well, in the in the postseason as mm. well. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Also, post season, there seems to have been a league league clubs
0: fielded basketball teams in an off field off season tournament. Matches played outdoors, meaning, uh, yeah, there you go. So I don't know the results of that, but there seem to have been
2: some Some sort of of basketball competition, as you do, which clubs would never sanctify these days. No, you can't even play backyard basketball these days. No, Um, so. Very quickly as
0: well. The under so the reserves was won by Richmond. They defeated Fitzroy 96 to 66. Under 19s, Fitzroy defeated South Melbourne 56 to 46. And the McClellan Trophy was won again by Melbourne.
2: Oh, okay. Even though Fitzroy won both the seconds and the under 19s, no, no, Richmond won the oh, Sorry. Okay. Yeah. So we won it. Okay. Um, I don't know
0: the official results, but Melbourne won the.
2: Melbourne bottom. won the McClellan Take it.
0: Absolutely. Every day you will. Um, so some retiree, actually, wrap up or retirees? What do we do first? What do you want to hear?
2: Let's go. No, let's do wrap up first and then retirees. All do right, you think? Wrap yep. Up. All right. So, premiers. Premiers. The mighty demons, Melbourne.
0: Yeah. Twenty-eight point winners over Collingwood. Uh, the Brownlow medalist. Where's Fred Goldsmith from South Melbourne? Yes. Fantastic. Uh, he seemed to have some quite a few players kick goals on him and bagged on him, he still you know still won the won the Brownlow. Uh, leading goal kicker The leading goal kicker was uh... Noel Reeson That's right, with 77 77 for the season, 80 if you include finals Yes
2: Wooden Spoon Ah, uh, Kilda
0: That's the 18th
3: Wooden 18th.
2: Spoon oh god <laughs> Well, if you're going to do something, do it properly, yeah. right? Yeah 18
0: um, yeah. The highest score was South Melbourne's 25 goals, 16-166 In that massive win over St Kilda
2: well, that's um, huge considering, as we said at the beginning, there was no combined score over 207, so yeah. 166. Well, that's
0: the biggest highest score they've had since 1950. Yeah. Well. Tim, All the McCracken. <laughs> the McCracken Award. All right. We had a big one who won at the end of last season. Remember, you can have a carryover champ, Candles, Candles Thompson. <laughs> um, so he's still eligible. Can he I could just go. say
1: that you put in the, ca- the cartoon of uh, Candles from the, from the Argus in yeah. the chat. That was fantastic. <laughs> Search that up.
0: All right. So here are the other options we've got. We've got Mick McLaren, <laughs> Jimmy Jewett, Merv Dim. Milne McCook, Bobby Burt, John Joyner, Johnny Dugdale, John Trethoan, John Woolley, Ron Horrocks, Ron Hoy, Barry Tackle, Rod Bazasto, Barry Baitzel, Ron McDonald, (laughs) John Jenkins, Ray Bloodworth, Ivan Westacott, Doug Dench, Graham Wiley, or Rob Fox. There's quite a list there. It's a catchy one. There's some good ones. I
1: think I I like them also because of the way that you read them as well. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Dim. He's got to to brighten up a bit. Um, (laughs) Ron McDonald. I would not... Hey, is this Barry Bitesell? Any relation? Cousin. Oh, yes. Okay. And Dugdale. You can just imagine shouting that. But... um, Jeez, what do you guys think? What do the people think? Um, I don't know, but we... jeez, how do you choose? This? this is ridiculous. Why is this? Why is this a thing? Let's go with Ron McDonald. They sure. got the biggest love from you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also liked
0: Ron Hoy, Hoy, uh, John Joyner and you know, a great football name Barry Tackle. <laughs> but uh, no, no, you
1: go, with Ron, Ron McDonald. Uh, well, let's hope that tackle plays another year. So, Ron McDonald, Kaz <laughs>
0: Well, it had to be yeah. <laughs> well,
2: so, so, retirees retirees
0: And some big ones here So, um, we're going to start by playing there's, So, Lou Richards, retired yes. And there's a little little Lou Richards tribute song We're going to play over the top of this So you can have a Perfect. listen um, So, he played 250 games exactly with Collingwood 423 goals and was Use the premiership the captain
2: Use
0: Bob Rose Yes 152 games for Collingwood 214 goals, one flag Des Healy, who would never play again after that unfortunate accident, after having such a season as well, 149 games, 37 goals, one flag. They're three huge names. Oh, I was going to say, like, how do you how do you cover that? Mm. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, Jack Garrick of South Melbourne, 117 games, 22 goals. Bruce Phillips of St Kilda, 115 games, 42 goals. Les Foot of North Melbourne and St Kilda, 167 games, 109 goals. Um, and was North Melbourne's captain when they made the grand final for the first time in those glory years. Dave Bryden, a footy 147 games, 56 goals, one flag. Troubles Flanagan, one of our favourites, 182 games, 88 goals, two-time premiership captain.
2: Carlton's- I just love that so much. He didn't wait until he was re- like he didn't wait until he was injured to retire. He preempted the fact he was going to get injured and just retired. We haven't got injured yet, so I better call. Think I it.
0: think I've got away with it for long enough. So
2: I better call
0: it. It's so good. Um, Noel O'Brien, would, who was Carlton, I think Carlton's leading goal kicker this season, he'd never play again. But we'll talk about that more in the fifty-sixth episode. Okay. He only played thirty-two games and kicked one hundred and eighteen goals. There's more to that story that we'll hear. Uh, also, Jack McMurray retires. Oh as yes. Two hundred twelve games, sixteen finals, six grand finals. And We've got some deaths as well. Um, so on Thursday, the 1st of September, Hayden Bunton was critically injured when his car crashed into three gum trees 11 miles north of Gawler in South Australia. Uh-huh. He was alone in the car and was treated at the scene for severe head injuries, a punctured lung, a fractured collarbone, fractured ribs and a oh sh- and shock. Uh, he passed away, but Doug Nichols officiated his funeral. Oh, wow. That's a fun fact. So if you remember all those years ago, um, Bunton being the one who really welcomed Nichols into the Fitzroy and, went and yeah. made a point to actually go and change with him. Um, also, Alex Gurney died suddenly of a heart attack on December 4th, 1955. He'd been ill for several months, uh, but we know he was a prominent cartoonist. Yep. And I think he had come up with the Swans logo. And maybe the, the Swans. He was the one who suggested they should be called the Swans, the Foreign Legion Swans. Um, so, yeah, he collapsed in his motor car, parked outside his residence in Brighton. So not a good year for, for
2: deaths in cars. No. Yeah.
0: Anyway, that uh, that wraps up the first of the six Melbourne premierships we'll be talking about.
2: In We're only the next just warming year.
0: up.
1: <laughs> one down.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're just ticking them off. Yeah, uh, it's a good one, and there's plenty of upside 55. in a very young team. A
0: very young team as well. Yeah. Mm. You'd be in their second grand final in a row. I've got the experience. I've got the taste now. That's it. Um, as um, as Noel McMahon said in that interview, you know we've got the taste. We know how to win it now. Yeah. I, I won't be. He won't be surprised if they if they keep going on those winning ways. And
2: how prophetic he N- is with those. Neither comments. we will. Neither will we. No. Yeah. So. Thank you for listening. There we go. Thank the first The first episode recorded in twenty twenty one.
0: Thank you for joining us on this uh, this journey.
2: Yeah, loving it. continuing us c- continuing, continuing with us, with us on this, this journey. journey. Yeah, uh, it's as always an absolute pleasure to be here with you, Timmy.
0: Indeed, um, I think we said this at the end of last year. But if you've got Stories now that you want to share, if you are someone who went to games in the fifties, and and we've got a season coming up, please email us. Let us know. Yeah. Share a story with us. Share something you want us to let a parent or
2: grandparent who played. uh, You know, anyone, any any anecdotes. We'd love to hear that. That's what makes this special.
0: Yep. So please let us know, and uh, we'd love to include that sort of thing in. You could even leave us a voice message. We could include in if we if we ever needed.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and um, thank you, everyone, for listening. And then, you know, in this, in this time of, uh, you know, do doing plenty of stuff and having your podcasts on, <laughs> just keep on listening and and recommend us to uh, to whoever you you can. Anyone who's loving footy and especially this year, any demons fans out Sorry. there, <laughs> just relive the old days with us. Do it. Uh, so better pass off to Big Red. Yep. Uh, but before we do that. Uh, hooroo! Big Red's local footy roundup for your state and suburban football
0: action, sinking our teeth into grassroots football.
3: G'day, kick team! This is Little Red. I'm taking over from Big Red while he works on his torpedo punt. So let's check out what was happening in this great country for the 1955 season. In South Australia, Port Adelaide had a dominant season, losing only one game on their way to back to back flags. With a two goal win over with a two goal grand final win over West Adelaide. Port's Dave Boyd won the season's best and fairest, while they also had the Ken Farmer medalist for leading goal kicker in Paul Kaust, who kicked 70 majors for the season. To the west now and a close season saw Perth come from third on the ladder to win their first flag since 1907. That's almost 50 years. It was a thrilling grand final in which East Fremantle kicked seven goals four to no score in the second quarter to lead by 34 points. But Perth reeled them in and in a tense last quarter saw them hit the lead with seven minutes to play. Then they held off the fierce challenge from Old East to win by two points. Merv McIntosh won the Simpson medal for best on ground. John Todd, who was a future West Coast Eagles coach, won the Sandover medal, and Ray Scott of West Perth took out the Bernie Naylor medal, which is a leading goal kicker, with 83 goals. To the VFA, where Williamstown also came from third to win the flag, defeating Port... To the VFA, where Williamstown also came from third to win the flag, defeating Port Melbourne. They came from 15 points down in the last quarter, kicking six goals to one to win by nine points. This was their second in a row. The leading goal kicker for the home, the home and home season was Jim Hughes of Coburg, who kicked 83 goals. The JJ Liston Trophy was won by Les Moroni from Moorabbin, who polled 37 votes. Other winners around this great... Other winners around the country included South Bendigo, Ballarat and Collegians. Other winners around the country included South Bendigo and Ballarat Collegians, both going back-to-back in their respective leagues. Other winners included Olverston Newtown. Other winners included Olverston Newtown and Longford in Tasmania, Mines Rovers in Kalgoorlie, Heathcote North winning their first of five in a row. North Albury defeated Wangaratta in the O and Kagania won the Tlangadur and District Football League. Finally, up in the Territory, St Mary's Football Club won their very first Premiership, which was the first of many. Radio, it's been good. Till next time,
4: kick straight. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us by email at kick at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kick Thanks so much for listening.